Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is uh, a tremendous honor and pleasure to stand before you this morning. And we again want to extend an incredibly special welcome to those of you that are visiting with us. You are most certainly our honored guest. Um, We are grateful to have you. Uh, Immediately following service, we're going to be having a fellowship meal in the gym. uh, And we would love to have you, even if you didn't bring food, uh, forgot to bring food, anything along those lines. Uh, There will be more than enough to go around. Long before I came to Netherwood as the youth minister, uh, Netherwood has had a tradition every single year of honoring young men and women who are graduating from high school. And today uh, is the opportunity that we are taking to do that. And so this is a special treat as we recognize these students and as we also recognize their families as well. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, what a great time in these lives of these uh, students who are progressing in their lives. We pray that uh, in their journey that they will reach out to you for guidance. We know that there are going to be a lot of uh, temptations and directions that uh, may lead them astray, and we pray that you oversee their journey. We pray that you comfort the parents as they watch them. Some leave their homes and start their new lives. We know that in all things that uh, you need to be in the forefront, and we pray that you Allow them to know that uh, you need to be part of their grounding, uh, that uh, they need to continue to study in in your word so that they can become the individuals that you want them to be. What a great time to celebrate this new life and journey for them. Allow us to be the examples that we need to be to encourage them to continue to grow spiritually. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, uh, this morning it is an incredible honor to stand before you this morning, but hopefully we understand what a tremendous honor it is uh, to be here to open up God's word, to be students of God's word, to be servants of God's word this morning as well. Uh, As we are about to get started and unpacking Mark chapter 5 and the many lessons that that are present in the text, it's my hope and prayer today that our hearts are open, that our ears are attentive, uh, that our minds are open to what God has to say to us, that we take these things with us, that we be individuals who will seek to live these things, who will seek to embrace these things. Uh, And so this morning, Uh, As we celebrate our graduates, as we celebrate our students, hopefully we will also be individuals who celebrate the good news that God has promised to us and the good news that God has given us as well. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, it is uh, the richest of blessings that we have to know and to understand that the creator of the universe has created us in his image. And Lord, we acknowledge that that is you. We thank you for the purpose that you have created us with. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us, not because of goodness that resides in us. But Lord, thank you for choosing us because of the goodness that resides in you. 
And so, Father, this morning, as we open up your word, we know that your spirit is going to provide conviction. Father, we know that we are going to hear your voice. And so, Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would open our minds to the things that you want to say to us. Father, we especially pray that you would receive all the honor and glory that is due you. Father, we pray that we would be instruments of giving you that honor and glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All the pictures that you are currently seeing have a few different things in common. Number one, the individuals that color all of these pictures are kids. None of them are above the sixth grade. And this is especially impressive to me because I don't have any of that artistic ability, nor do I think I will ever have that artistic ability. Number two, all of these kids won their respective coloring contest in which they entered these pictures. Finally, all of these pictures follow one basic but old school coloring rule. And most of us, if not all of us, can recite that, and that is coloring inside the lines. And while we aren't going to discuss coloring or coloring books this morning, we are going to be discussing what it means and looks like to color outside the lines in the name of Jesus Christ for the sake of his kingdom. And it's not going to be a discussion in this formulaic, organized manner But it is going to be a discussion and a study and a messy, disorganized, a lot of times painful, but extremely beautiful ways. You may be wondering what is meant by the phrase coloring outside the lines. For the purpose of today's lesson, coloring outside the lines means that you and I are unwilling to settle for anything less than what God has intended us to be. And what God has intended the world around us to be. This includes every aspect of who we are. It includes every aspect of who others are. It includes every aspect of what this world is. Read with me in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a bizarre story from the beginning. It's a bizarre story, but more than being bizarre, it's a scary story. It definitely has all the elements and then some of a big hit scary movie in 2016. Right before this happens, Jesus calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4. His disciples thought they were going to die. That story took place in the evening, according to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. So by the time that Jesus and his disciples reach land, 
It's either very late in the evening or very early in the morning. And it's dark. It's quiet. Added to this is the reality that a man from what we would term a graveyard immediately approaches Jesus and his disciples right after they step out of the boat. The disciples had to be wondering, what in the world is going on? We almost lost our lives. And now this. They were probably questioning, were we wise to attach ourselves to Jesus? Notice the language that is used by Mark in verse 2. Jesus stepped out of the boat. Surely Jesus knew what was about to happen. Who he was going to be approached by. Which makes the language that Mark uses all the more stunning. Even with the knowledge of what was about to happen. Jesus still made the decision to step out of the boat. Why? Because Jesus was constantly stepping out of what was comfortable and into what was uncomfortable. Coloring outside the lines from a spiritual standpoint and being unwilling to settle for anything less than what God has designed me to be and the world around us to be means that my comfort is not my number one priority in this life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 puts things into a fairly sobering perspective. For those of us who like to be comfortable, and if we're honest, that includes all of us at some point in our lives. John says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is simple, and yet it's heavy duty. It's heavy duty because talking about following Jesus and having the best intentions in following Jesus are no longer enough. It's about whether we, as God's people, are constantly stepping out of what is comfortable and into what's uncomfortable. We are individuals who are very skilled at making excuses about why we can't, about why we won't, about why it's impossible. And yet Jesus' actions let us know that stepping out of what's comfortable and into what's uncomfortable It's not optional for a disciple of Jesus. And there's no valid excuse if indeed I'm going to follow in the steps of Jesus. Being uncomfortable means that I'm constantly aligning and realigning my definition of success with God's definition of success. Believe it or not, the American dream has nothing to do with God's dreams. Being married, having a job, having a family, keeping all of those things safe, settled, and comfortable, they're important, but they're not the most important things in life. Solomon, a man in the Bible who has been dead for years, who even by today's standards would be considered the wealthiest or one of the wealthiest individuals, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. 
and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The next two pictures are of friends that Sunshine and I are blessed to call friends, and even more, blessed to call family. The Howard family. Lance, Jessica, Kennedy, Sawyer, Presley, and their youngest daughter, Chancellor. Prior to Chancellor's arrival in their family, they already had three beautiful young ladies. They recently adopted Chancellor Hope, a fourth girl that is now a part of their family. To me, that in and of itself is mind-blowing. But what is even more mind-blowing and more convicting is that Lance and Jessica are raising these young ladies and teaching them what it looks like to step out of what is comfortable and into what is uncomfortable. For this lesson, I asked Lance and Jessica two very specific questions. The first was, how is heaven currently colliding with earth in your family? I wish I had time to share all of their responses, but here's some of what they said. Lance referenced their recent adoption of Chancellor and said, heaven collided with earth before, during, and after our adoption. He said, as a result, I want to lean into playing more of a role in bringing these two together, heaven and earth, more consistently. In order to do this, I have to choose to forgive those who have wronged me. Ask forgiveness when I've yelled at my kids. Seek justice and have hard conversations. He says, I have arrived at a point of contentment that brings me peace where I don't feel the anxiety and pressure to chase what others have by a worldly standard. He says, I want to be the best father and husband daily so that my girls taste and see the goodness of the only heavenly father that matters. Jessica also referenced their recent adoption and said heaven collided with earth in a hospital room of all places. When our fourth daughter was being born, being able to stay the night in the hospital with the birth mother, wondering if she would sign the papers the next day after all we had gone through. We stayed up late eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream with the birth mom, sharing the gospel with her, watching tears stream down her face as she expressed concern that she wasn't good enough for God. Tears streamed down our faces as we explained, that's what makes it good news, that none of us are good enough. Fast forward to a month and a half later and getting to watch her, the birth mom, surrender her life to Jesus in baptism. Jessica says, I've never been a part of a more real kingdom moment than when we were in that hospital room. She says it hasn't been easy, and it's been so messy, but it's been so worth it. The second question that I asked both Lance and Jessica was, how are you intentionally teaching your girls to not live a life for God that is comfortable? Jessica said, this is a hard question. In fact, I don't like it. I don't like it because it makes me see my life for what it currently is too comfortable. Example is the greatest teacher. She says some of the few things we've done and need to do more of, we've taken our girls to impact in the inner city of Houston to participate in VBS. They see kids from different backgrounds. 
They see families from different backgrounds. They are exposed to poverty, different races, lower, lower socioeconomics, and kids who misbehave continually in search of attention. Our kids go with us to serve popsicles in the park or city church. It's an outreach program on the east side of McKinney designed to share Jesus with those who are less fortunate. Our oldest, Kennedy, is in a charter school which we were advised by many Christians not to put her in because it has a very diverse religious and cultural environment. Many of her friends are Jewish, Muslim, and Buddhist, and she has friends that don't look anything like her. We talked to her about many of her friends not knowing Jesus and her need to speak to them. We talked to our girls about people in other countries not having much. Our girls will one day know the heartache of a third world country because we're saving to go on a mission trip. And then listen to what she closes with. The above list is pretty embarrassing because it truly shows me our lack of intentionality for living an uncomfortable life for the sake of Jesus. Lance said the following, being comfortable makes me uncomfortable. Right now I need to stop spending as much time with church people so I have margin in my life to spend with those who do not know Jesus. Our oldest is aware of our prayers at night when I ask her which of her friends she wants to pray for. I pray we will be spiritually forming them into girls and a family that will seek bringing heaven to earth in the whispers, in the valleys, as well as the shouts from the mountaintops. What about us? Are we too comfortable? I'm going to offer a disclaimer right now about what I'm about to say because it's going to step on some toes, my own included, and that's okay. Our leadership here at Netherwood made the decision a while ago to go to two services, not because they believed it to be a magic bullet for growth, but because they believed it would put us in better positions to grow. How many of us, myself included, complained and still complain, this is not comfortable for us. It's not working. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves some of the following questions. Are you singing louder? Because you think the singing isn't as good? Do you invite, do we invite our friends, family, and coworkers so that they can sing with us and make up for whatever deficits there are? I don't get it to see everyone that I used to see. Then what are you doing about that? What are we doing about that? Do we call people on the phone during the course of the week? Do we send text messages? Do we have them over to our homes? Well, I don't see any growth happening. Who have we invited? Whose lives are we stepping into? Who can we be praying for to have open hearts regarding our invitations? You see, my friends, it's easy for all of us, myself at the top of the list, to open our mouths and complain. That's comfortable. It's a lot more uncomfortable to seek to be a part of bringing heaven to earth. Coloring outside the lines means being willing to, unwilling to settle. 
Read with me Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. We already referenced that this situation and atmosphere that Jesus and the rest of the disciples were a part of is bizarre. It was scary. But not only those two things, it was also unsafe. How easy would it have been for Jesus and his disciples to say, wrong stop, we're moving on, we're moving forward. But Jesus led the charge in not doing this. And in so doing, he led the charge into very unsafe conditions. Why? Because Jesus wasn't apathetic, silent, were unconcerned about dark and scary situations. He brought light to the dark and scary situations and exposed things for what they were so that transformations could occur. This unclean spirit was tough. It was tough even for Jesus, the Son of God and God himself. How do we know this? Look at what verse 8 says. Jesus had been telling the unclean spirit to come out of the man, and the spirit was still there. Even in verse 9, Jesus asked the name of the unclean spirit, which was a way to wield power over that spirit. And the unclean spirit stands face to face with the Son of the Most High, all the time recognizing the power and authority of Jesus, and Jesus didn't run for the hills. Upon, upon what dark and scary situations is my life shedding light? Our lives shedding light. The next slide is of a young woman named Amber Pleasant. Whenever I see her, I'm filled with a lot of joy, a lot of memories. But I also feel old because she used to be a young lady who went through my youth ministry when I worked in Seattle, Washington. For the last several years, Amber has been working in Asia, specifically in Burma and Chiang Mai, working with women and children who have been involved or who are currently involved in sex trafficking. When she first shared with everyone that she was doing this, I remember a conversation that I had with her dad, who was so afraid that a young, innocent Caucasian female was choosing to head into those conditions. He was furious with her decision. In many ways, even today, still does not understand it. But I will always remember a conversation that we had where he said, Anthony, I didn't raise Amber like this. We didn't raise Amber to make these types of decisions. And I said, you did raise her like that. You raised her to love Jesus Christ. You raised her to have a deep and authentic faith. 
You raised her to love people compassionately and with humility. The issue is you don't like the, where the raising of her has taken her. And more importantly, you don't like where the growth that God has provided has taken her. Because it's not what you envisioned. Incredibly, someone will always ask or think when talking about living unsafely as Christians, are you saying that we should look for unsafe conditions? Are you saying we should knowingly walk into unsafe conditions? I'm going to submit to you, we wouldn't be asking those types of questions if we're following Jesus. Because unsafe is going to find us. We don't have to look for it. When I'm coloring outside the lines, being unwilling to settle for what God has designed me and this world around me to be, I am going to be living unsafely. Mark chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Jesus didn't care who was watching. He most certainly didn't seek to hide the man. He most certainly didn't seek to hide the pigs who were destroyed because of the unclean spirit. Jesus didn't hide the work of God done through him. Living unashamedly means that I allow the work of God in me to be on full display at all times. It's not about being arrogant, but it is about making God known, and this means not hiding. It means living proudly and not running when individuals around you see the results of God's work in you and in us. The next slide is a picture of Tuan Moore. Tuan is a worship leader in Texas, and I've had the opportunity to do a couple of retreats with him. This is a man who I would say characterizes what it means and looks like to live an unashamed life on a daily basis. Some of us may be thinking, well, that's his job. He's paid to do that. He has to do that. But listen very closely to what he said when I asked, why do you choose daily to live unashamedly before Jesus. He says, I choose to live an unashamed life for Christ because I've experienced the awesomeness of Christ. I have felt the weight of my shame being relieved in his forgiveness and grace. I have felt the work of the Spirit changing my heart and mind. I have and and am experiencing Christ. When I remember how great he is, I just respond. Like a person who sees a beautiful sunset, with an exclamation, how gorgeous. And then proceeds to find someone they know and share the experience saying, you have to see this sunset. It's incredible. My response to experiencing Christ is to follow and to share him the best way that I know how. When I do that, I think some people may see me as being unashamed. Most of the time, I just feel like it is just doing what comes naturally when I truly experience Jesus. Perhaps we aren't living unashamed lives for Jesus 
Because we aren't seeking to experience him day after day. Mark 5, 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The response of these individuals to what Jesus had done is tragic. How could they care for animals more than they care for this man's soul? They saw this man in a completely transformed condition, and yet their responses and their reasons behind it aren't what make this an incredible story. It's Jesus' response. Jesus' message, proclamation, and work didn't wilt because of opposition and because of resistance. Jesus was unapologetic about all of these things because he recognized that these things pointed to the Father. Living an unapologetic for for Jesus means that God's work in and through me is not compromised, nor is it reduced because of what others may think, feel, or even say. Notice that Jesus wasn't rude or demeaning in his behavior toward those who were unwilling to accept him him or his message. I don't believe he would have gotten on social media and posted a rant about how pagans were acting like pagans. Oftentimes and sadly, the biggest critics of God's work in you and in us are going to believe that th- are going to be those that believe they know a great deal, but actually know very little, but still choose to speak very loudly. The biggest critics of God's work in you and in us are going to believe are going to be those that believe they know how things should operate but who are reluctant or unwilling to join you or us on the journey. Rosa Parks is a name that most of us are familiar with. She is most widely known as an African-American woman who refused to give up her seat on a bus to a Caucasian individual when the bus driver demanded that she do that. In her autobiography, she says the following, People always say, that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But this isn't true. I wasn't tired physically. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Rosa Parks wasn't only tired of giving in, but she was also completely unapologetic for doing the right thing, regardless of how people felt about it, regardless of how people thought about it. And regardless of what people said about it. More importantly, we see in the example of Jesus, who had a physical body just like you and me, make decisions where he refused to apologize for being in submission to the Father. Is that us? Life is not about pleasing people who didn't create me and who didn't die for me. Life is about pleasing an audience of one. Everything else, well, it may matter, pales in comparison to pleasing an audience of one. Because Jesus chose to color outside the lines and live uncomfortably 
unsafely, unashamedly, and unapologetically, the chains of this man, both physical and spiritual, were broken. And that's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has done for us and continues to do for individuals, continues to do for us to liberate. Liberate individuals from chains, liberate individuals from situations. However, we have to be individuals who are willing to rise up and be unwilling to settle for what God has designed us to be and what he's designed this world to be. We have to be people who are willing to live in the same manner that Jesus did. Liberation is possible. This story is an incredible testimony to that. Jesus continues to promise that. May we be individuals who live that. May we be individuals who embrace that. May we be individuals who won't settle for anything less. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you that these aren't just words on a page and that this just isn't a story so that we can be entertained. Father, thank you that your spirit moved throughout men to guide their hands to write exactly what you desired and what you wanted. Father, we pray that we would be moved by your voice and your word. Father, sometimes we need to be shaken by that. And so we thank you that you're willing to do that. Father, we thank you that you are committed to our growth as men and women who belong to you. Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.